Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, March the 18th, 2023. It is currently 12.52 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Sometimes time itself works against you. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that sometimes time itself wasn't your friend, wasn't your partner, wasn't helping you out in any way, shape, or form? I don't know about you. I feel that I'm in constant conflict with this thing called time. And now that it's Saturday, March the 18th, 2023, I definitely feel that time has not been my friend. It hasn't tried to help me in any way. It hasn't been an ally. It's been an enemy. It's been a villain because I don't know if you're aware of this. This entire week, we should have been studying John chapter eight. That's what we were supposed to be doing. But if you go back and look at the podcast, you'll realize we haven't been discussing John chapter eight. And I feel horrible about that. I was going to try to jump in on Thursday and say, okay, guys, the Bible study exercise, John chapter eight, let's, let's work on this. But I felt like that's no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to do as much as we can between Thursday and Saturday because Sunday we're supposed to start a new week, right? So here's what we're going to do. Whether you agree or disagree with me, we are going to start today and we're going to go all the way till next Saturday and John chapter eight is going to be the focus. I know we're supposed to move on. Maybe we'll mix in a little bit of the next chapter in the gospel of John this week. Maybe we will. I, I, I'm not too worried about it. If we get a week behind, we get a week behind. I'm not worried about a schedule. What I'm worried about is that we would somehow miss an opportunity because of time to look at John chapter eight, because I, I, at least for me, I am, uh, how, I don't even know if I have the right words to describe it. I have, I have a feeling that John chapter eight is one of those chapters that maybe, maybe I, maybe I personally feel that everyone misses the point. And maybe I feel like that, that because everyone misses the point, we need to spend some, we can't skip it. We can't miss it. Maybe John chapter eight just has a, maybe I have a soft spot for John chapter eight. I, I don't, I don't really know exactly what it is, but I, it's just one of those situations where I'm like, look, I don't care if I get six weeks behind. I don't care if I lose 95% of my audience. We cannot skip John chapter eight. I just feel this absolute Like, like, I, I feel like I have to, like, there's almost like I, I, there, there, it's a, it's a necessity. It's, it, it has to occur. I don't, I don't really have the way to explain it to you. There's just this something about John chapter eight that I feel needs to be discussed more and more and more and more and more. And so we're going to, we're going to start today and I hope, I know some of you have been working on John chapter eight this week. You used the curriculum. You started on yourself. You just kind of took 
responsibility and like, okay, wait, he's not broadcasting about it, but I know what we're supposed to be talking about this week because he gave us the schedule. He gave us the outline. He told us we have the curriculum. Uh, so even though he's not talking about it, I'm going to go ahead and, 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 and jump right in and do that. And for those who have done that and who have emailed me, thank you so very much because that's one of the reasons a lot of times we have the curriculum and we give, I give you, Hey, here's what we're going to be doing is because I do like the freedom that if for some reason I decided not to cover something, you still would have access and be able to engage in the study for yourself. So, um, I am, Grateful for those who did that. For those who did not, that's perfectly okay. And and hopefully for everyone, you've done your work. I may I may come up with some special assignments that maybe you've already done, maybe you haven't. But I'm going to make I'm going to do my very best that if you spent the week on John chapter eight, you will not regret another week of focus. That's what I'm I'm going to try to prove to you because I just think this is a, a powerful section of. Scripture. Now, primarily, obviously, I want you to read all of John chapter 8, but the focus is going to be John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And I know that you're probably already aware of this. If you were looking at the curriculum, it mentions this as well. I posted this also on the Faith Life, in the Faith Life group. If you would like to be a part of the Faith Life group, just download the app Faith Life, Faith Life. Do a search for Theology Central. Look for the one that's listed as a church, not a radio show. And once you find us, once you find us, please, 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 uh, you can you can post and ask questions and, and participate in everything there as well. But John chapter 8, if you're not aware of this, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, is not found in the earliest manuscripts. They do not include John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Many believe it's a text that does not belong in our Bible. Many people truly believe that. By all means, you can look up all the commentaries on John chapter 8, look at all the arguments for and against. You can, you can, you can do whatever you want with it. I, I, I'm not, I'm not here to just get into that never ending debate. All right. I, I understand that there's lots of manuscript evidence that would call it into question. I understand that. I also know that it's found in almost all of our Bibles. And I also know that I don't believe John chapter eight verses one through 11 is utilized to establish some significant theological conclusion or doctrinal uh, you know, pr- proof or a, or a doctrinal foundation. So I, I don't, I don't think we have to be too worried. Now, if this text of John chapter eight, verses one through 11 was being utilized to prove a doctrine, teach a doctrine, establish a doctrine, defend a doctrine, I would be a little concerned, right? Because it doesn't, I mean, most people believe it doesn't belong there. I mean, a large number of scholars believe it doesn't belong there. So it would be, I would be on very shaky ground to say, hey, John chapter eight proves this. So I'm going to, uh, so because it doesn't do that, then I at least feel a little bit more comfort in trying to utilize it. All right. And so here's kind of my approach. It's in most of our Bibles. We do need to acknowledge that there's a good chance it doesn't belong and that this is one of those textual variants that this possibly got added. I hope that as people continue to look and study manuscripts and, and continue to research, I do, I would love, I truly wish that they would find something 
that would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This probably does belong. I, I wish that there could be a significant archaeological manuscript discovery that would be like, no, we, we now have good evidence for its inclusion in the text and that it belongs. That would be awesome to me. And the reason is because I have, I, I, I tried to describe it. I, I know I haven't, I don't have the words today, but I just have a soft spot for John chapter eight, verses one through 11. Because I believe, and, and this is the issue I want you to just start thinking about at the beginning of our focus on John chapter eight for the Bible study exercise. I, I'm gonna pose it as a question. I believe, and, and this is my own, I'll, I'll, I'll state it as a hypothesis. This is my own theory. This is my own thesis. And you can, you can, you can, you can disagree with me. That's perfectly okay. Maybe, maybe this will be a, a major part of our discussion for this week. I feel personally that for 2000 years, the church in general, at large, not saying in every specific detail, not every specific church in every single case, but I think over and 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 over, the church has demonstrated a poor ability. It lacks the ability. It seems to not be able to handle sin in a biblical way or a correct way. I think the church is always, I think the church is always struggling. Like on one hand, the church is always struggling. We don't want anyone to commit sin. No one should commit sin. So in many cases, we create just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we create all of these additional rules and all of these additional things that you can't do this, 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 you can't do this to try to keep people away from sin. Right. Hey, hey, no, 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 no. You can't watch that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't go here. You can't wear that. You can't. No, no. And because we're trying to, to, in a sense, keep people from sin, we basically create extra laws. We add to the word of God. In many cases, we place people in bondage. In many cases, we just burden people and destroy people with, with law that's not even from God. It's law coming from men. And I think that we have seen that they're kind of almost a legalistic approach. We've got to keep people away from sin. So I think in some cases, the churches have turned to legalism to deal with sin. I think in some cases, some churches have turned to liberalism to deal with sin. And like, we're just not going to refer to it as sin. We're not going to call it a sin. We're just going to, we're just going to refer to it as a mistake or a struggle. We're not going to refer to it as a sin. So we have kind of liberal approach to sin and the legalistic approach to sin. I think we can all agree that that's been a problem. Then there is the issue of how to deal with the, another thing the church has tried to do is try to convince people over and over and over that when you become a Christian, you're completely set free from the power of sin. Everything has become new. The old is completely gone. And now you have the power and you possess the ability to keep the law and to obey God. That, that is a common approach. So we have a legalistic approach. We'll have a liberal approach and we'll call it the power approach. Convince everyone they have the power that they can do it, even though over and over and over and over and over, we all have to realize we obviously can't keep the law. We obviously can't obey. We obviously can't be perfect. We obviously can't stop sinning. We obviously can't be sinless. But even though that reality is smacking us in the face, the church continues to say, you've got power. You got power. You got power. You can, you can, you can, you can, even though we can't, 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 can't fall, 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 fail, 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 fail. 
So we've got legalism, we got liberalism, and we got this power idea that's there. Those are three ways the church has tried to deal with sin. And then there's a fourth way the church has tried to deal with sin. And I think it completely, I don't even know what we call this. I'm going to call this a, we've got, we've got legalism, we got liberalism, we got power. I'm going to call this one as, I'm just going to call this one as damaging or hurtful. We handle sin and failure in the church in a damaging or hurtful way. We have the legalistic, we have the liberal, we have the power. And when I say damaging, hurtful way, that what we have a tendency to do, I want you to hear me out, is that when people sin and when people fall, We come at it in a way that does more damage and does more hurt. We do not approach it in a, and I, and I I hope you, this, this idea sticks with you all week. We don't approach it as a battlefield medic. See, when someone falls and someone sins, the church, many cases, doesn't scream out, we need a medic. We need a medic, medic over here, medic. We come and we run with, you know, our bandages, all of our medical tools to help patch up, fix, to heal the wound, to pick the people, to restore the person back to usefulness. But we show up with rocks. We don't show up with bandages. We show up with rocks. We we could almost say, I guess in many cases, the church either handles it in a legalistic way, a liberal way, a power way, or can we say a punitive way? It it shows up to punish. It shows up to humiliate. It shows up to, to, to expose, to gossip, to slander, to destroy. It doesn't show up going, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got someone bleeding here. We need, we need a tourniquet. We need a bandage. We need this. We need, we need to help. No, 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 no. It's like, hey, everyone, did you hear what so-and-so did? Get your rocks. We're going to have a stoning at midnight. Get your, get a rope. We're going to have a hanging at noon. Now you may say, well, that's extreme. I don't think it's extreme. As soon as some, you just watch someone falls into sin, boom. And especially if they have an, any, you know, any kind of name or recognition, everyone just wants to hop on social media to destroy, to humiliate, to gossip, to spread. It's never everyone like love covers a multitude of sins. Oh, no, 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 no. In Christianity, love doesn't cover the multitude of sin. Love, there isn't any love. We drag them out and throw them in the middle of the street and say, sinner. And I think John 8 is is an example of at least how Jesus handles sin in this particular case that should challenge us. I guess what I'm trying to say is John chapter 8 should at least cause us to pause and go, we need a more balanced approach in how we handle sin. Legalism is not the help. Liberalism is not the help. Telling everyone they got power to do something clearly they do not have the power to do is not helpful. And just showing up in a punitive way, in a punishment way, in a painful, hurtful, humiliating way is not of any value as well. If we read John chapter 8, let's just read John chapter 8 verses 1 to 11. Then each one went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. 
At dawn, he went to the temple again. All the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery and the law of Moses, uh, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Now, there's more. In some ways, I want to read all of it, but I'll just stop right there. What always strikes me in this story is that the text is obviously clear. Now, I know whether it belongs in the Bible or not, but at least in the story, we do know this. These individuals, the scribes and the Pharisees, the people who who bring the woman to Jesus, um, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. To make sure I I wasn't uh, mistaken there. It's the scribes and the Pharisees. The text is explicit. They are bringing this woman to Jesus and they could care less about the woman. They don't even really care about the sin. They are approaching this whole thing simply as an opportunity to test and trap Jesus. This is not about the woman. This is not about her sin. So to immediately we know that their approach to this is not biblical, it's not godly, it's not loving, it's not compassionate. They, they, sin is secondary to this. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to think about all the ways you handle the sins of others and the, the way you handle your own sin. And I want you to ask yourself, do you think you handle the sin of others and your own sin in a biblical, godly way? Or do you think you handle it in an ungodly, unscript, in a unscriptural way? I'll give you an example. If some preacher you don't like falls into sin and you just see it as an opportunity to hop on social media to bash that preacher, to condemn that preacher, to tell everyone, I thought they were trash from the beginning. I never believed them. I don't know why anybody would listen to them. Then you know what? Just just stop because you are handling yours. Forget their sin. You may want to look in the mirror. I'll give you an example. I was never a fan of Mark Driscoll, never a fan of Mark Driscoll. I had a hard time understanding why people in the reform world were so enamored with him and drawn to him because I didn't quite understand it. I would listen to some of his sermons and sometimes I would be like, wow. Other times I'd be like, whoa, wow. But in a negative way, sometimes I didn't get it. Right. But when he, everything imploded for Mark Driscoll, it all, Mars Hill comes crashing to the ground, bursting into flames. He gets up, you know, basically charged with plagiarism and then all of the, his abusive style, bullying, all the things. I mean, it just all imploded. Guess what? Why would then I take that as an opportunity to say, I never liked him in the first place. He's trash. I told you he was garbage. Well, no, no, you know what I needed to do is be quiet. You know what Mark Driscoll needed at that moment? He needed a battlefield medic. He needed someone to scream out medic. And we run to him with the bandages and we run to him with the gospel and we run to him with mercy and grace to pick him back up. 
Now you can say, well, his attitude was bad. He never took responsibility. He found an easy way. You could, you could look all the ways Mark Driscoll has handled everything that happened from Mars Hill to going to the church in Arizona. You, you, you can offer obviously true biblical critique, but there's at least a period of time where the last thing you need is more rocks being thrown. Right? I'll never forget uh, First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana. Obviously, I don't agree with their theology. We reviewed sermons from that church um, from a youth conference, and I total, told you there were horrible, horrible, horrible sermons. I don't agree with that church on pretty much anything. Jack Hiles was the pastor there. Have lots of criticisms about how he handled things. Uh, we, we, we could, we could talk. I'm not a fan of it. Well, the pastor there many, many, many years ago, well, let's just found, was not only found guilty of some, well, put it this way. He went to prison, right? Let's just put it that way. He went to prison. Some horrible acts and, 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 and by no means am I justifying. And I'm not saying that he should not have been held accountable legally. Well, I'm not saying we cover up anyone's sins who have committed an, an illegal act. They've committed a crime, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that. But here's my, 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 when I heard all that he did, you know, my first thought was, my first thought, well, my first thought was, well, obviously the church did a good thing. It seemed like they worked with authorities. They ever, everybody did what was right, good, and he's being held accountable legally, right? So legally, he should have been held accountable. But from my perspective, well, wait a minute. We're, are the Christians going to show up with their our, our medical kids? He has to pay for his crime, but does he still not need the gospel? Does he still not need mercy and grace and the blood of Christ? Isn't the blood of Christ sufficient to cleanse him from all his sin? But it was just immediately wholesale. He's trash. He's garbage. He was probably never saved and just basically threw him to the, to the curb. And I, I always wish that I, there was some way for me to have contacted him while he was in prison to go, Hey, man, look, what you did was horrible, but I'm right here and I'll walk through this with you. I'm right here. I'll sit with you. And when, and, you know, the blood of Christ will cleanse you from all your sin. Not saying it excuses the action. Not saying it excuses the action. I mean, what was the point? What was the point of bashing him or gossiping or slandering? Whenever, whenever someone falls, I don't care if it's a, if it's a, an individual. I don't care if it's a church leader. The, the, it's not dinner time gossip material. It's like, you know, let's not talk about them. Let's pray for them. Have you reached out to them? Have you tried to help them? Have you tried to comfort them? Now, some people that they don't need comfort. They committed sin. If they're broken over their sin, they need the comfort of the gospel. They don't need to be utilized as an object lesson or for you, or giving you the opportunity to say, I hate, look, I, look, you know how much I hate charismatic theology. You know how I loathe charismatic theology. I despise it. I hate it. It's a cancer. I want it removed from the face of the earth. But if anyone right now at Bethel Church, and you know I don't like Bethel Church in Redding, California, you know how apostate I think they are. But if all of a sudden news broke that one of them was involved in some horrific sin and had fallen, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be turning on the microphone to relish in it, to celebrate in it. I would want to be like, how can I reach out to that individual? Not because I agree with their theology, not because I'm excusing their sin, but because they need the gospel. They need, they need a battlefield medic. 
In wartime, you have to have battlefield medics to try to preserve life, to try to save as many soldiers as possible to restore them so they can get back on the battlefield. Within Christianity, you were like, oh, you were out there, you got shot, you made a mistake, you should have went left when you, uh, you, you went left when you should have went right, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Within Christianity, we, we, what we do is we don't send out the medics, we send out the critics. We send out the people like, oh, oh, look, you messed stop. I told you you not to go there. Why didn't you do this? How come you didn't have your helmet on? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do you? We go tell them all the things that they've done wrong. Then we throw a couple of rocks at them. And then we say, just stay here and die. We don't ever want you in the, tr- in the army again. That's how, that's how Christianity handles it. Christianity runs out there and just like, man, you failure, you piece of garbage, you piece of trash. We're not going to bandage you up. We're not going to help you. You just lay here and bleed out. And if you do crawl back to the, to the, to the tents, we're not giving you any medical care. And just so that, you know, you can never be in the military again because you messed up. Instead of going, no, 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 we're here. We're going to bandage you up. We're going to take you back. We're going to do surgery. We're going to get you repaired. And we're going to, we're going to, we may address maybe mistakes that you've made at some point, but we're going to get you back on the battlefield. We're going to restore you to a position of usefulness. I want you to just think of John 8 and just see how, I want you to just consider how you handle other people's sins and your own sins. Do you turn to gossip, slander, almost bragging that you feel superior because they've fallen into sin. If so, just think about this. If you've known a Christian and they hurt you bad, they stabbed you in the back, they lied about you, they gossiped, they slant, they, they tore you down, right? They, they destroyed you. And all of a sudden today, you were to find out that that person just fell in some horrible sin. Would you get to some sense of satisfaction? Ooh, yeah, proves that I'm better than them. Or would you just feel broken and like, grab my medical kit? What do they need? And would, if, when other people started talking about them, would you be like, shh, no, 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 no. We're not going to gossip and slander about a fallen brother or a fallen sister. Here's the one thing I know. Sin is everywhere and in everyone's life. It may not be my sin, and I've got plenty. It may not be your sin, but we're all sinners. But when we utilize other people's sin for our own religious agenda, for our own benefit, then we don't care about, like, they just brought the woman. Where was the man? Is it possible the man was a Pharisee or, or, or one of the, uh, a Pharisee or a scribe? And they're like, hey, man, you, you go, you go, shh. We'll keep this on the download. We're going to focus on the woman. In fact, we're going to use this woman to trap Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case. No, no. I just know the man's not there. And if she was caught in the act, as the text says, we, we was caught in the act of committing adultery, where was the man? And all that, it's very clear they, own, they don't care about her. They don't care about her. When, when sin causes us to lose, the, 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 uh, how can I say this? When sin blinds us to the humanity of the sinner, we've got a problem. 
When we see the sin more than we see the human, when we see, when we no longer see a person created in the image of God and all we see is actions, morality, right, wrong, up, down. We don't see people and the complexities of being a human being and all the things that come in with it. I'm not excusing any sin. Please hear me out. I'm not excusing anyone's sin. I'm not excusing my own. But for now, I just want you to see how messed up this is. I want you to think this week about how we handle sin. How we handle the sins of others and how we handle the sins of ourselves. Oh, there's so much more I want to say about this text. But for now, I want you to do that. Now, now, if you remember last week, we I, I told everyone about the book, about uh, the Gospel of John, Seven Signs. I, I, a lot of you purchased that book. I have it right over here on my Kindle. Hang on, my Kindle is waking up because it's been asleep. Um, here it is. The seven signs. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to the beginning. The seven signs seeing the glory of Christ and the gospel of John. The seven signs seeing the glory of Christ and the gospel of John. If you if you've purchased the book, please let me know what you think. I would love to get your thoughts. We will be doing a little bit more work on that um, at Victory Baptist Church. We will be as well. We'll be mixing that in. But uh, I just want you for this week, John chapter eight. I want you just thinking about that. These men don't care about the woman. They don't. They're just using her for their own religious purposes. Other people's sin is not for you to use for your advantage, for your purpose. Other people's sin is your opportunity to grab your medical kit and render spiritual medicine. I feel like I should say more today. But I think I'll stop there for now. I, th- I think there's a man. I don't know. I don't know. There, there's this passage just really gets to me. It really gets to me because of how they treat her. I it just, but I, I just feel like the church has has been struggling with how to handle sin its entire existence. Email me your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I promise I'm going to try to make this week worth your time and effort. You say, what, what, what should be my homework right now? I, I, just, I just want you really just to focus on yourself and how you handle other people's sins. That's, that's kind of really what I want you to, to focus on. That's really what I want you to focus on. All right, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. We have a week of Bible study in front of us. Let's really get the most out of John chapter 8. Let's really get the most out of John chapter 8. 
Let's do what we can not to, to miss this opportunity. All right, newsif at yahoo.com. Remember, if you download the Faith Life app, Faith Life, that's all run together, Faith Life, do a search for Theology Central, choose the one that's listed as a church, not a radio show. I, the other account, I don't know, we don't know where it came from, but join the Faith Life group and then you can discuss and talk about all the things related to, well, John chapter 8 or Ezekiel 40 through 48 or, or the 50,000 other things we're working on currently. Uh, but um, we're going to do our best to make this week a great week of Bible study. All right, thanks for listening. Most likely, um, see, tomorrow at Victory Baptist Church, we will be doing more live broadcasting today, but um, we got to finish Hippolytus on baptism. We, or, or, I'm sorry, Hippolytus on the apostolic tradition, but we're dealing with the section on baptism. We have, I may do that Sunday night. I don't know. Uh, we'll do Law and Gospel, and we'll probably do John chapter 8. We'll probably work on John chapter 8 tomorrow. So, all right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great Saturday. God bless.